Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and the NFL draft has come and gone as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and we have got a great show for you here on episode number 174. And at the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my buddy Greg Cosell to recap what the Eagles did in the 2019 NFL draft. And every year of the last few years, Greg and I have been able to just kind of sit back, put our feet up on day three, hit record on our podcast recorder and say, let's just talk. Let's just talk about the game, where the game's going, talk about the NFL draft, what teams are doing, how they're building their rosters. Well, for the first time in a few years, Greg and I weren't together for draft weekend. So I thought, you know what? Let's still catch up with him. I want to hear his thoughts on how the Eagles did over the course of three days last week. So let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited once again to catch up with my friend Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Greg, uh, welcome back to Chalk Talk here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. And we're going to recap the draft a little bit. Like I said earlier, we didn't get a chance to to spend the draft together this year. Usually we kind of post up on day three and record a show. But I thought, let's let's get together. Let's kind of go through all five of these Eagles picks and even uh, Hassan Ridgeway there on the back end of it. But uh, let's start with Andre Dillard, a player that I know uh, you were fascinated by coming out of Washington State, very athletic. Uh, pass protector. What are your thoughts overall on Andre Dillard and how he can uh, eventually evolve into this Eagles offense? Well, I was really pleased when I saw that the Eagles made the pick, and they traded up, correct? Yep, exactly. Yeah, I think they recognized uh, that Jason Peters is obviously an older player, and whether he can make it through a season or not, that remains to be seen. But Andre Dillard, to me, is your classic NFL left tackle pass protector. Um, he's got really good size. Uh, he's got light, quick feet for the position. He's an easy, natural mover. Uh, he plays with really good base and balance. He, you know, they, a lot of people use the term. He's a natural knee bender. Um, he's a poised player. He's a composed player. Overall, Fran, I think that he's got the the physical size, the build, and the athletic movement traits to be a very good left tackle in the NFL. Yeah, and I think ultimately when you just look at his skill set and you pair him with those other guys, I mean, we talked uh, in the lead-up to the draft over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, just you know, comparing him with those other two big names, right? Like Jawan Taylor... He was an easy, easy translatable guy to right tackle. That's where he spent his career. You right. know, from a from a classical you know evaluation standpoint, he's your prototype. You know, quote unquote, at right tackle. Jonah Williams. A lot of people question: Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? Is he a center? But Andre almost always came off as the best pure left tackle in the draft. Yes, and I think that the flaws that he showed on film are all correctable. Yep. Uh, you know, I think he had a tendency to place his hands outside rather than inside, and I think that that's correctable, and I've spoken to offensive line coaches about that. That's a teachable flaw. Um, 
so that you know that's one thing that that is easily correctable. Um, obviously, in that offense at Washington State, there were a lot of, of you know short sets. So the concept of the kick slide, which you did see on film, but he wasn't asked to do it the way they do it in the NFL. But I don't view that as a difficult transition. He's got very light, quick feet. He's a very good athlete for a man who's six five, three hundred and fifteen pounds. I'll tell you, the, the thing that really, you know, got me excited, too, was just going back and watching a lot of the Senior Bowl film. You know, after the selection going out, I know we're going to have Jeff Stoutland in for, for a breakdown, right? So I go through, I'm like, all right, let me go through all these Senior Bowl reps. And, you know, you see reps from him down in Mobile in a three-point stance, executing a double team with his left guard and blowing a three technique four yards yeah. into, the, into the linebacker's lap. Like, that's the kind of stuff, like, okay, he wasn't asked to do it at Washington State, but he showed the ability to do it in Mobile. And to me, that's one of those things, like everyone talked about the pass pro one-on-ones and things like that. To me, when scouts see that, that's where you start saying, okay, this guy, if you're talking about the athleticism, now you factor this in, this is where we're going to start talking about you in round one. No question. And, and I think that just the athletic ability, the size. Um, the other thing that I thought he did really, really well, which – is teachable, but it's nice to see in college is, and and I think we often use the term accelerated division. Mm-hmm. He had excellent recognition of stunts and games based on defensive front alignments, uh, and, and he recognized things. So, you know, that's something that you really like to see when you watch tape of an offensive lineman. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things we broke down with Coach Dowd. And by the way, if you guys uh, listening at home <clears throat> have not watched that breakdown that I did with Coach Dowd, it was about 10 minutes, and he, first of all, Coach stole the show. And for 10 minutes brought just unbridled energy that you can't match and was very, very enthusiastic about his plans for, uh, for helping to develop Andre Dillard and what his skill set is. So I encourage you guys, if you're, if you're at home, you haven't listened to that or haven't watched it yet, go on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, go on the Eagles YouTube page, check that out. All right, uh, Greg, let's get to the second round pick and a guy that I know as soon as they made the pick, you're one of the first people I thought of because I know you are very, very high on Miles Sanders out of Penn State. Well, to me, he was running back two in this draft class, yep. uh, and, and that was obviously behind Josh Jacobs, who I think is an outstanding talent. But I loved Miles Sanders, uh, and I was, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to be in Nashville, which is why you and I were not together on yep. this uh, for this draft. But I, I thought Sanders had—he's got size, he's got the, the running and receiving traits to be a three-down back. He's really smooth. He's fluid. He's got patience. He's got vision. He's got make-you-miss traits at all three levels of the defense. Um, I think he's deceptively powerful to get the hard-earned yards. Um, He's shifty. He's elusive. My sense, too, watching him, because he's really a one-year player, I think, uh, Fran, he's just scratching the surface of what he can be. I mean, I think that this kid can be a really, really good back. And we know the way the Eagles use backs. It's not as if he's going to get 300 carries this year. Sure. And what what was most fascinating to me, Greg, I talked with James Franklin on Saturday, uh, myself and Amy Campbell for Eagles Draft Central, and uh, talked with James Franklin, and one of the things he said was, you know, we were hoping that he was going to come back, and our plan for him, we had a very, de- uh, a very developed plan to incorporate him more often into the passing game and use him in different ways as a receiver. And then later on in the conversation he talked about, he said, one of the biggest things of feedback that we got from play- from coaches, from scouts, GMs, from everybody – whether it was our pro day, private workouts, the combine, was how natural he was at catching the football and yeah. running routes and doing all those things. To me, that's the thing where now you're taking it to the next level with a Miles Sanders in terms of what his value can be to an offense. 
Yeah, there were snaps in college where he was detached from the formation. I thought he showed good hands with the ability to make catches away from his frame. There was nothing, even though the sample size was not large, Fran, I don't think there was anything you saw just on tape study. Again, James Franklin knows more than we do because he's with him in practice every day. But there was nothing on tape in games that made you feel that he couldn't be a meaningful quality receiver as a back. So then taking that now back to the Eagles and, and just think about how they like to play and some of the things they like to do, you think about it from a tempo standpoint when the Eagles try and go hurry up, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, they go hurry up in 12 personnel with, uh, you know, with two tight ends on the field, Zach Ertz and, and Dallas Goddard. You've got two receivers on the outside. We'll pick and choose who those wideouts are. But then you have a Miles Sanders in the fold who, yeah, he could hurt you running the ball if you want to line up in a tight formation, but also give you that versatility to be able to line up in the slot, line up out wide, and do some different things. That's the, the thing that really, really gets me allured to a guy like Miles Sanders in this offense. And I agree, and it'll be very interesting, and I, I don't think you or I know the answer to this as we're doing this uh, today on, on May 1st. We don't know how Doug Peterson and the offensive staff will see the deployment of Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, Sanders Corey Clement. We don't know how they'll see that. Yep. But but the point is uh, whether they felt like they wanted Sanders or they really had him rated highly and he was sitting there and they said, hey, we have to take this guy no matter what. We don't know exactly how all that will play out over time. But there's no question this offseason that the Eagles, in my view, clearly upgraded their running back position. And it was a position that needed to be upgraded. Yeah, and when you talk about matchups, right, this is obviously a league of matchups, you being the uh, the senior producer and one of the co-hosts of uh, NFL Matchup, very, very well aware of this. The Eagles go in later in the second round, and they get J.J. Arcega-Whiteside out of Stanford. And then now my, my wheels start spinning, and I'm like, okay, all the different possibilities in terms of matchups, and we know the kind of player that J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is, right? I mean, he's a big guy, goes up, wins those contested balls. He can, he can win in the big man's game as a receiver. But now I'm imagining, like, okay, like you come out in 12 personnel, and if J.J. can make that big step and you put him out opposite of an Alshon Jeffrey with two tight ends on the field, it's tough for a defense to try and match up to. Yeah, and I, look, I mean, I think that our Seagull Whiteside's strength was he has outstanding ball skills, he's got really good body control, and he had high point ability. Um, he's not as tall as people probably think because yep. of the way he played in college. He's, he came in at 6'2". Uh, in some ways, it's very similar, and I know you remember this to Alshon Jeffrey. You'd watch him at South Carolina, and the announcers would say, oh, he's 6'5". <laughs> and then, of course, he gets to the combine, and he's under 6'3". Whiteside was kind of the same deal. Yep. You know, you'd watch him in a game on TV, and everybody would say, wow, this guy's 6'5", and of course he's 6'2", but he plays big. He plays a big man's game, um, and he uses his body really, really well. Uh, I'll be very anxious to see what his development is as he gets through, you know, the OTAs and through training camp, and if he ends up being a meaningful part of uh, the pass game this year. The Eagles obviously believe he will be because of where they drafted him. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, you know this, I'm just saying for the listeners, the, the wide receiver position, it can be difficult to make that jump from college to the NFL and have early returns on it. So I think when you look at the Eagles receiving core and you say, okay, you've got Alshon, you bring back Nelson Aguilar, you've got Mac Hollins coming off injury, you bring yeah. back Deshaun Jackson, you've got J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, you've got Shelton Gibson. There's a lot of, a lot of bodies there, a lot of people to compete and offer differing skill sets and what they can do. So there's not pressure for Arcega Whiteside to come in right away, you're hoping that he's got that ability to come in and say, like, all right, this is this is my role. This is where I can help the team. You would think the red zone will be one of those areas as well. 
Yeah, and the other area where I think he'll be effective is in the RPO game. Yeah. And then obviously the Eagles will continue to do that with Carson Wentz as the quarterback because one thing you saw him run a lot of are those uh, three-step and five-step slants, and, and he's got a big body, good hands. So, you know, those kinds of things. You think about scheme adaptability within the context of what you do offensively. You know, obviously he's a certain kind of receiver. Um, you know, and I think within the context of what the Eagles do like to do and what we, we've seen them do uh, the last year or so he fits that and then you get to day three of the draft greg we'll talk about uh sharif miller the defensive end from penn state well-rounded player i'm interested to get your thoughts uh on sharif miller and what you saw from him on film with the nittany lions yeah, I went back and forth on him, to be honest with you. He's, he's clearly long. He's fluid in his movement. Um, I don't think the tape showed a sudden explosive edge athlete. Uh, he, he needs to get stronger, which will happen with the Eagles. Uh, you know the mantra, you can always make guys stronger. You can't make them more athletic. Um, you know, his length and body type, to me, suggested that he'd probably be a 3-4 outside backer if you're going to start him, but with the, the amount of sub that's played in the league, he certainly can be a defensive end who can rush the quarterback. That's what you're hoping he'll be. He showed flashes of winning off the edge with, with quickness. Uh, he had a very effective swipe move. Yep. He showed some bend and flexibility. I think the way I would describe him, and, and, and obviously it's the reason he's not a top 50 pick, is the baseline traits are there for him to develop into a good pass rusher. Uh, he just needs some work, some refinement, more play strength, you know, the reasons he's drafted where he's drafted. Exactly. That is the reason why he was the fourth a fourth round pick and not a, uh, a first or second round pick. Exactly right. So, uh, I, I agree. I see him kind of the same way. Okay. A, a well-rounded player, because I, I didn't look at him and say, like, man, like, this is a huge, huge flaw that he's not going to be able to overcome. I agree. It needs to get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Technically, there are things there that he can continue to refine, but uh, an, interest, an interesting player for down the road. And then, uh, let's get to the, the, a later pick, Clayton Thorson, uh, the quarterback from Northwestern, a guy that I know you've studied not just last year, but over the last couple of years as well. Yeah, I watched Thorson uh, last summer after his junior year and actually really, really liked him, believe it or not. And uh, I I thought that his senior – now, he had that major injury. I mean, keep in mind that he got hurt in the bowl game, and it was a very major injury. So I didn't think he played as well in 2018 as he did in 2017 because I thought watching his 2017 tape, I thought he reminded me of a bigger Mitchell Trubisky. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, But he didn't play that way in 2018. Of course, I didn't – I think Trubisky was the second pick in a draft, but that's irrelevant. Um, you know, he definitely remains a tools prospect. Um, now, I wouldn't say he's got a big arm, but he certainly has a strong enough arm. Um, that offense, I found at times, and my guess is you felt the same thing, uh, it's a certain kind of college offense that's very effective. Um, I don't think he'll he'll need to expand sort of what he's asked to do once he gets to the Eagles. My guess is he's a very smart kid. Um, you know, I thought he had some field vision and ball placement issues in, in 2018. Uh, you know, I thought that his velocity was not as good as it was in 2017. Yep. But as I said, that could also be a function of his lower body and when you have that kind of major knee injury, often it takes a year for that lower body to really come back. And when you're around him, Greg, uh, the resemblance in terms of the way he like uh, just composed himself, very, very similar to Carson Wentz and to Nate Sudfeld. So you can see like how the Eagles coaches met with them and say, like, yeah, this guy's going to fit right in uh, in that quarterback room. You know how yeah, much I'm not that, surprised that means. by that at all. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, uh, but so I think that look again. He's drafted where he was 
for a reason. You know, if, if he had a phenomenal 2018 and was, you know, considered a high-level prospect, then he wouldn't have gone where he did. But I think that there's, you know, to use the term, you know, he's toolsy. He's got traits. And he's obviously, look, Carson Wentz is the starting quarterback. That's not even a question. Yep. And Carson Wentz has special talent. You know, Carson Wentz could end up being a top three quarterback in the league this year if all goes well. And you and I both know that the coaching staff really likes Sudfeld, who's been in this system. So Thorson is your number three, but he's got traits. And then lastly, the Eagles in the seventh round. And I don't expect you to have your notes right in front of you on, on Hassan Ridgeway coming out of Texas back in 2016. But uh, he's been with the Colts now for a few years. And this was a guy, I know if I remember right, you and I were both uh, equally intrigued by him. I'm going to read my, my notes on him coming out of Texas up in the next segment. But uh, I want to just get your thoughts overall on any memories you may have uh, on how you felt about Hassan Ridgeway back uh, a few years ago. Yeah, I'm seeing if I can find my notes on Hassan Ridgeway because I uh... – I liked him coming out of Texas. I thought that he clearly had um, three technique ability. Yep. You know that's the way I saw him coming out. He had very good quickness. Um, he, he was pretty light on his feet. Uh, you and I don't know why he didn't become you know that guy in the NFL. We don't know that, but I. I thought he had a chance to be a good player and it, it didn't quite work out and that's the reason he's now on the Eagles but there, there's traits there to work with there's no question about that in my view so now it's just a matter of, of whether the Eagles can pull those traits out of him and he can become part of a rotation obviously they didn't get him to play 70 snaps a game or 65 snaps a game so we'll see but but I remember liking him uh, I think more than others when he came out of uh, of Texas. Yeah, and a guy that you get for uh, for a seventh round pick uh, at the end of the day. So a very interesting investment uh, that could pay good dividends for for the Eagles in the 2019 season. Well, uh, Greg, we'll let you get back. Uh, I'm sure you're uh, you're right in the throes of uh, your post draft uh, process here, but really appreciate the time here as always on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Greg, and you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. And that is the one way to, to support the show. But the best way, the number one way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to our shows, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, and you'll get here on the show. It's the best way to get on the program each week. And I am a couple weeks behind on updating you on some of these questions. So I figured I'd try and catch up best way I can. Here's one. Breed 83 left a five-star comment and a review saying how they're a new listener and how much they love the show. Thank you for joining us, Breed. Uh, Shane B118 left a review and a question about safeties in the NFL draft. Shane, Sorry I missed your question leading up to the draft, but I do appreciate you leaving the review, and I agree with your evaluations, by the way, on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Juan Thornhill. I thought you summed both of them up very, very well. Joe Rogers left a review saying how he's new to the show and he listens every week now instead of listening to Sports Talk Radio. I appreciate that, Joe. So let me answer your question about the Eagles running backs, and here's Joe's question. What do you think the Eagles' depth chart will look like for running back when September comes around? And I think really, Joe, the, the question is, how do you define a starting running back? You know, how do you define who's number one? Obviously, it's a, you know, it could be whoever's out there for the first snap. But if you look at some of the top backfields in the NFL last year, you, know, you look at New Orleans with what they had with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. You look at Chicago, they had Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. It's a package league. It's a matchup league. So teams are going to try and find ways to use all the weapons at their disposal. So 
how the depth chart looks, I think it's, it's that's going to be a little bit fluid. But ultimately, you look at this roster, and it's a it's a pretty good group of running backs. I mean, you've got Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, Corey Clement. Right, you figure are probably the top three guys. You have Wendell Smallwood, Josh Adams, uh, Donnell Pumphrey, and then Boston Scott. And don't forget about Boston Scott, by the way, the team that the, the, the player that the team signed off waivers in the middle of last year. He really stood out to me during the preseason last year with New Orleans. Explosive kid, has a little bit of juice. So I think when you're talking about this group as a whole. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how they look this spring and then this summer in training camp. It's going to be a very competitive battle. I think all these guys are going to try and fight for a roster spot. So ultimately what it's going to come down to is if you're not one of those top three players, what else can you do for us? You know, Can you be a great pass protector? Can you catch the ball out of the backfield? Can you be a, a factor on special teams, whether that's as a returner or as a core four guy, as a, as a coverage player or as a blocker on, on uh, special teams? So all those things are going to come into play in terms of how these guys fit in the depth chart, how they fit on the 53-man roster. If they're able to be active on game day, all those things will come into play when you're talking about building that 53-man roster at the end of the summer. So thank you to Joe, Shane, B. Reed, and all of you out there for your continued support and the rest of you for watching and listening to all of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. Earlier I told you we would dive into my notes on Hassan Ridgeway, the defensive tackle uh, that the Eagles traded for in the seventh round of the 2019 draft. Let's get to that right now in Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the Scouting Report. All right, so Hassan Ridgeway. 6'3 and 3'8, 303 pounds. This is him coming out of Texas. Played in a very multiple defense. A lot of different fronts there with the Longhorns. He was a three technique and a 4'3, so outside shoulder of the guard, between the guard and the tackle. And then when they went to a three man line, he went as like a four eye technique, which meant he shifted over just a little bit, a little bit more over the offensive tackle on the inside shoulder of the tackle. So typically between the guard and the tackle, but was asked to do a lot of different things in that front. So he got in some reps inside and outside. Time the Snap well, got out of his stance very quickly, and did a good job staying square to the line of scrimmage. It's so important with not getting uprooted at the point of attack. He got into blocks quickly and knew how to use his length in the run game. He had tight hands against the run, knew how to work blocks and flow to the football. He didn't really drop his weight, didn't really bend to try and anchor, but he held up fairly well against double teams at the college level, had some natural strength in that lower half, and he had light feet, had the ability to be disruptive, had some gap shooting ability. We talked about it earlier with Greg. As a pass rusher, I thought he showed really good flashes and had a wide variety of moves that he would try and work in here. You know, pretty good bull rush, pretty good hand swipe, an arm over move, a rip move, an inside counter move, a, a swim move, a long arm. I mean, a lot of different uh, tools at his disposal there in terms of getting after the quarterback. And he was always trying to disrupt passing lanes as well, getting those arms up after beating the offensive lineman. Played with a solid motor, showed some urgency, and tried to make plays outside the numbers early in games, but he did tend to wear down a little bit, and that was a little bit of a question. Was conditioning an issue? He played in a very heavy rotation with the Longhorns, played a little bit high at times, and wasn't naturally powerful. Wasn't a guy that consistently collapsed the pocket as a pass rusher. So, you know, and who's also, I talked about, he showed flashes as a pass rusher. You wanted to see a more consistent plan of attack, more consistent pass rush plan. So those were the questions for him coming out of Texas. But overall, this was a guy, and I, like I said earlier with Greg, I was very, very intrigued with Hassan Ridgeway, both scheme and position versatility. I thought I wrote down maybe a better college than, or a better pro than college player. And while he may not ever be an annual Pro Bowl talent, I thought he had starting upside because he had a pretty well-rounded game from a physical standpoint. To me, had a high floor as a solid backup with a ceiling as a quality starter. He actually reminded me a little bit of Kawan Short, the Pro Bowl defense 
defensive tackle with the Carolina Panthers when he was coming out of Purdue. Both Short and Ridgeway were explosive three-technique prospects that showed quality disruptive ability in college, but the motor and conditioning issues lingered into the draft process. Wouldn't shock me at all uh, if they were drafted in similar spots. Obviously, Ridgeway two rounds later than Kawan Short. He was a second-round pick a few years earlier, but I was very high on Hassan Ridgeway. I was very, very intrigued by him. He was just outside my top 10 defensive tackles in that draft, and a very intriguing player that the Eagles were able to get in the seventh round just a couple of weeks ago. So uh, great stuff this week from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen. And again, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles Mobile app as well. Don't want to forget any of you guys out there. But go subscribe to the show. Go find it on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave us that rating. Leave us a comment. That's the number one way to support the show. But all that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will see you next week.